Well, I'm going to start reading from Luke chapter 23, verse 44 to 45. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the entire land until the ninth hour, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. Well, this is a, a couple of verses that describes what happened. And when it says there between the sixth and the ninth hour, that's between noon and three. It's describing the cross of Jesus Christ. And as you can see, I am calling this the scandal between noon and three. Something happened at a specific time, Jerusalem time, at a specific moment uh, that is revolutionary. Now, there are many words, theological words, that are helpful and they are nice and they tell us good things. We could talk about that justification occurred. We could talk about redemption. We could talk about reconciliation. All these are wonderful words that contain uh, each one of them a nuance of beautiful truths. But sometimes these theological words, they can, uh, they can serve as a cloak. We become so accustomed to these words that we lose some of what really happened at the cross. And so I'm, I've chosen the word scandal, the scandal. And it's in the Bible. I didn't make it up. I didn't pull this out of a hat. No, uh, that, that is one of the words that some use for what happened when Jesus went to the cross. It was scandalous. And, and, and so uh, let, let's look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, where Paul says, Far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Here is Paul trying to summarize, and it's so hard to find the words to be succinct, to talk about the enormity of what happened when Jesus Christ went to the cross. But first of all, he says here, he says, I have been crucified to the world. Let's start with that point. I have been crucified to the world. It all starts with us. And We've been crucified to, to what? To the world system. Uh, so when he says, I to the world, he's not talking about the Roman Empire. He's not talking about, uh, you know, uh, the world system that we might think about it because the whole book of Galatians, it's about the world's religious systems. The, the whole system of all world religions, which is that we have to ever make new sacrifices and new commitments to please a deity that seems to never be sufficiently satisfied. And here uh, Paul says, I, 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 you know, I've been crucified to that. Something happened to me. Jesus died on the cross for me, but he also died with me. I have closure to the old life. The old Saul of Tarsus there was a murderer filled with hatred, seeking to persecute. That old Saul of Tarsus has died. And, and we can put ourselves right there. He says, I, I have closure to that. The, I, I'm righteous because the old Saul of Tarsus, the old, and I can say the same thing, I am righteous because the old Peter Youngrid has died with Jesus Christ. You see, the cross does something 
in us and it does something to us. It, it, it changes our life. It, 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 we no longer park our car, so to speak, in Romans chapter 7 where it says, oh, the things I want to do, I, I, I can't do and I don't do them and the things I don't want to do, I do. You know, so many people, religious believers, adherents to a faith, they, they live in that realm. But once you discover this gospel, you pull your car into reverse and back up out of Romans 7 and you drive into Romans chapter 8 that now since I am in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ has done something for me through the cross, I'm no longer under the condemnation, but I live by the law of life of the Spirit of God in Christ Jesus. And then he says, not only that I've been crucified to the world, but the world has been crucified to me. Well, we could, we could talk about 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where it says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. It doesn't say that God reconciled himself to the world. You see, because God never had an ax to grind with the world. God never had turned his back on the world. But it says that God was in Christ reconciling the world. We were the one who had walked in our own direction. God hadn't turned away from us, contrary to what many want to tell you. No, God's eyes of love have always been upon you. God has always looked at you with compassion and love. But we had turned away. We say, we don't want this God. Away with him. And so God was in Christ bringing us back to himself. This is wonderful. And how do we explain all this? I'm going to try to give you a number of, of statements today. Uh, for one, I say, our love affair with religion is over. It, it's over. You know, many people have a love affair with religion. They just love their religion. It could be the Christian religion. And they love all the requirements of their religion. They love how they can kind of score points, uh, trying to live up to the edicts and the requirements of their religion. And when they feel like they do better than others, they love It's over. That whole religious system of merits and demerits, keeping score of yourself and others, it's over. Let me put something else. Our fear of indiscriminate acceptance by God is gone. You say, well, what do you mean, Peter? Our fear of indiscriminate acceptance. People say, well, you know, I just, I just can't believe that God just accepts me that God's arms are outstretched to me. He loves me just as I am, even though, you know, Billy Graham, the late Billy Graham used to always have that song sung, just as I am. But uh, if you really look at it, just as I am, I come to God. People say, no, well, I, I just can't, I can't just see that God would accept me. You, you know, with everything, there's always something else I have to do to deserve or earn God's acceptance. I just can't. And, and so people have that fear. But once we discover what happened at the cross of Jesus Christ, that fear is over. You know, our, I put it like this. Our mission now is not to police the world's sins. We bring good news of him who conquered sin and lives in us. So many Christians feel that our job is to point out all the sins in Canada. 
uh, and wherever country you're watching. Many preachers feel that their job is uh, to, to kind of enumerate all the sins and all this is so bad and this is so terrible. That's not our mission. Our mission is to tell people about Jesus Christ who defeated sin, who took sin. We don't invite people and say, come and deal with your sins. You better make it right. We don't say that. We say, you're unable to make it right. But come to the one who made it right for you. The one who dealt with your sin. Come and receive his grace. You know, people wrestle with this. I remember a few years ago, uh, we were in, 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 after they'd had some tribal war in Kenya, there was a very sad thing. Over a thousand people died. They were hacking one another with machetes. And since I have been got, going to Kenya for many decades, know many of the top politicians in the country, I flew over there. I went to some of the refugee camps. And sure enough, preachers had come to those camps and they had all kinds of ideas saying, well, you know, this, this civil war or this fighting and these deaths happened because of some sin or something else. I tell you, I'll never forget the amazement as I gathered the people on that camp and that refugee camp. They came out of their tents and I just had an impromptu meeting right there telling them that God is not angry with you. God's arms of love are outstretched to you. Here they were living in a refugee camp and then these so-called prophets would come in and say, well, it's because of, you know, God wants to beat up on you because of all the sins of this country. No, that's not our message. Our message is to talk about the one who defeated sin. Oh, this is beautiful. Let me give you some more. Justice has been carried out. Not a human kind of justice, God's justice. You see, the human kind of justice is retribution. Now, we can't do it really like maybe some would want to because if, 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 you, if you speed too much, you get a fine. And if you speed more, you get a bigger fine. And if you do a break in an entry... Uh, you get a certain punishment. And then if you, if you keep doing it, you get a bigger punishment. So we try to measure the punishment to the crime. Of course, if somebody committed a murder, uh, you know, you can put them away uh, for life, which in, in the nation of Canada is 25 years. And, and then I suppose they could come out of prison. So it's not really equal because that person who, who was murdered doesn't come back again. You know, it doesn't matter how much you punish the murderer. The, the murdered one doesn't come back to life. And so, so sometimes we think that, that God's justice is just like human justice, but, but more holy, more grave, more severe. We think, well, you know, if, if, if we would uh, punish a criminal, how much more would God do it? But if you read the Old Testament scriptures, you'll find out that the word justice Look at it in this context all throughout the Old Testament when that word is used so often. It talks about making things right. God makes things right for people. Human justice can't make it right. Whatever damage was caused, no matter how much you punish the criminal, it doesn't make it right for the victim. But God's justice towards you is to make things right. That's why Jesus went to the cross. To many people, that's a scandal. They say, well, people should get what they deserve. But the gospel is that God makes it right for people, no matter what they deserve, no matter what they've been going through. Now, now so let's look at this. There are three responses to this. I mean, 
I'm trying to describe how awesome this gospel is, how fantastic it is, how beautiful it is. And, and, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, here's what it says. We preach Christ crucified. We, we preach what happened between noon and 3 in Jerusalem that day when he hung on the cross. And he says to the Jews. Now, that doesn't mean all the Jews. It means when it says that in the Bible, it means the religious leaders. You could, you could paraphrase this to the religious leaders. It's a stumbling block. And, and to the Greek, some translations say Gentiles, some say the Greek, it's foolishness. I think Greek is the right word. It doesn't mean all the Greek people because, you know, Titus was a Greek person and he believed what Jesus did on the cross. But to the philosophers, so we could paraphrase that, and to the philosophers, it's foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, both religious people, religious leaders and philosophers. Uh, Christ, the power of God, and Christ, the wisdom of God. So here are three responses. Paul says, and I'll, I'll take them in the order that I choose here, says to some the gospel is foolishness. Why would it be foolishness? Because it contradicts the law, the universal law of cause and effect. You know, cause and effect is that do good, you get good. I mean, we tell our children that. We say, now, you pay attention in school. You, you, you listen to the teacher. You do what the teacher says, and you'll do good. We say to maybe somebody who has got their first job, now you, you pay attention. Listen to what your job description is and just uh, give it your best, and you'll do good because that is how basically the world works. And that's a good thing. We applaud that. You, you do good, you get good. You do bad, you get bad. But you see, when it comes to God, everything is turned upside down. Because with God, it's like this. Even if you have done terribly bad, you've done so bad that nobody wants to talk to you anymore. Your mother doesn't want you to come over for coffee anymore. That's how bad it is what you've done. But even if that would be the case, and that would have to be an extreme, God still loves you. And so the, the philosopher said, that's foolishness. That's rubbish. And the word for foolishness there is the Greek word moros. That's where we get the word moron. I mean, if you say to somebody, you're a moron. It's like you're unintelligent. You're absurd. You, 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 you're stupid. You're silly. This is what people said about what happened at the cross. No wonder I call it a scandal. They said this is scandalous. That people, you know, they thought they get away with it. Oh, this grace of God, people get away with their sin. Well, actually, you don't get away with your sin. You know, you, you just tried. You try sinning against people and they'll get back to you. And if you do something bad enough, the police will come and get you. And so it's not that you get away with it. Paul says, you know, you, you can backbite and, and, and almost kill one another. But as far as God is concerned, if you will accept what Jesus Christ has done for you, then the wages of sin... The normal result of sin, the consequences of sin. He took them for you and now gives you the gift of God, which is eternal life. You see, when Paul was preaching this message in Acts chapter 17, they said, he's a babbler. Listen to that fool. 
They called the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, who we love. We read 2,000 years later what he wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit. They said, he's a babbler. It's too good to be true. Let me give you the gospel. The gospel is if you'd done, uh, if you done bad, come to God and receive good. Sounds incredible, doesn't it? Think about it. Maybe you're watching me right now. Maybe you've done something bad. Maybe you've done something really destructive to, towards yourself. Or maybe you've hurt somebody else. Now, now you, you make it right with that other person. But you can come to God and receive enough good from God that it will empower you to live good, to live a new life. Look at this. I, I just try to put this down. It says here, I say gospel is God accepts us due to the effort of another. Oh, that sounds like rubbish. That sounds moronic to some people, but it, it, it is the gospel. God accepts you. He says you are accepted in the beloved. And in that instance, it's referring to Jesus Christ as the beloved of the Father, but, but you're included in that as well. You are accepted due to the effort of Jesus Christ. Not your own good works and efforts, but due to what he has done. Let me give you some more gospel nuggets here. The phrase Christian religion is an oxymoron. It doesn't make sense because the gospel ends religion. You see, all religions, Paul says, I died to the world religions. I died to their whole way of thinking that I have to keep, keep pleasing this displeased deity. And, and, and with every sacrifice, I must wonder, have I done enough? And that's religion. So therefore, to say Christian religion is an oxymoron because the gospel ends religion. That whole idea that I'm never good enough and that my sacrifices, my dedications aren't good enough and that God continues, oh, he loves you, but he's a bit displeased at the same time. That's done away with. Jesus settled that once and for all when he went to the cross. That was the scandal between noon and three. He went to the cross and put away your sin. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and by his stripes we were made whole. You, you know, human wisdom is something that Paul refers to here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, Human wisdom, once you try to apply human wisdom to this and you try to explain it and, and kind of reduce the full impact of the gospel, it, it makes the cross of Christ of no effect. It means your intellectual, your academic, your religious efforts are incapable of bringing you to God. You see, I'll give you another little nugget here. The gospel is not about a changed or improved life, but a new life. Somehow we, oh, people have a hard time with that. They say, I'm going to try to do better. <laughs> I'm going to pull myself up by the bootstraps. I tell you, I blew it, but I, I'm going to try harder, and maybe God will accept me then. Well, we have got the whole thing wrong. We have reduced our beautiful gospel the beautiful work that Jesus Christ did for you, we have reduced it to a mere human effort. I'm going to do a self-improvement focus for this new year or for the next 40 days or for the next three months, whatever. People set a time frame. 
But, but the truth of the gospel is that if any person is in Christ, that person becomes a new creation. You receive a new power on the inside. We, we, we don't for a moment want to reduce our brilliant, fantastic message to make it a mere self-improvement course. You can come to Christ today and receive from him. And if you've come to Christ, maybe you need to come again because religion got you all caught up as in a cobweb. Okay, let me move on. To some, the gospel is a scandal. Why? Because someone else paid the debt you owe. See, conventional wisdom says you should pay it yourself. You know, you made your bed, you can sleep in it. You should make things right for yourself. That, that sounds so reasonable. But here, the religious leaders refer to as the Jews. Of course, not all the Jews, because the, the apostles were Jews and they received God's grace. But it says here, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, to the Jews, a stumbling block. To the religious leaders, a stumbling block. The word there is scandalon. I told you, this title, I get it right out of the scripture. Scandalon is where we get the word scandal. He said it's, it's a stumbling block. It, it's, it's, it's an outrage. It's improper. It's not right that somebody else should pay for what you owe. You should appease God. You should do it. That somebody else did it. That's, oh, people have a tough time with that. You know, that moody, unreliable God that is sadly preached in too many places. You know, that God who is preached in some places who has supposedly, to, according to some preachers, has predestined a vast number of humans to burn in a conscious hell for eternity. Predestined. They have no chance. They have no shot at it. They're not, according to that way of thinking, God has let them be created in such a way that they have no inclination for the gospel. It's called Calvinism, as some people call it. Well, whatever you call it, it is, it is a, a devilish idea. It's so cruel. It's so ugly. But I got good news. You know, that God who does that, that God who would predestine billions of people to hell that never given them a chance for the gospel, that God who is moody and irritable, here's the good news. That God doesn't exist. <laughs> so relax, relax. That God is, that never, never did exist. Uh, that, that, that God is done away with when we see when Jesus reveals who God is. Jesus shows us who God is. And so, uh, but, but to many people, this is a scandal. And, and so much is scandalous. You know, let, let me give you some example. Jesus' incarnation, if you look at it, it's, it's scandalous. I mean, he was born in Nazareth. It was considered a hellhole. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And then he was born under the cloud of seeming to be an illegitimate birth. Jesus' ministry. You could, and I put it in quotation marks there, it, it, it's kind of scandalous. Have you ever thought of Jesus' first sermon? Or at first when Jesus preached that sermon, they loved it. When he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and heal the brokenhearted and all that, they, they marvel at the gracious words that came out of Jesus' mouth. But quickly they changed. Because then Jesus began to pinpoint the hollowness of their religion. And he says, you remember in the days of, of Elijah, Elijah? He said, there were many widows in Israel. Many widows who lived under the Mosaic law. 
who wanted food. I mean, after all, uh, the books of Moses promises that God will supply food for them. And, and here Jesus says there were many widows who were following the law of Moses and they wanted food, but they didn't get any food. The only one who got food was that woman from Seraphat. Now they all knew when he said Seraphat, that means he was, she was not a part of the, of the law. She was not a part of the, of the Jewish nation. She wasn't a part of the law of Moses. She was, outside of, she was outside of the religious system. She got fed. And then as if that wasn't enough, Jesus says, you know, in the days of, of Elijah, Elijah's uh, follower, the successor there, there were many leprous people in Israel who would have liked to be healed. And they knew that in the book of Moses, Leviticus chapter 14, God promises healing for leprosy. So they knew that. They were aware of that. He said there were many who wanted to be healed, but none of them were healed. Not one of them, except for one. And he was from Syria. Again, Jesus is making a point here that the one who did receive healing was the one who was outside the religious system, not a part of the law of Moses. He received healing. And they began to gnash their teeth. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, look at your religion. It doesn't give you what it promised because your own effort to meet the conditions for your religion always falls short. So you don't get what your religion promised you. Many people find that to be true today. And then Jesus says, I've come with something new. I've come to bring God's grace. I've come to bring you good news. And they began to get so mad. That's why they wanted to murder, kill Jesus. I mean, we could look at so I said, Jesus' ministry is scandalous in so many ways. I mean, look at it. He healed on the Sabbath. You know, why did he do all the healings on the Sabbath? It was like he was sticking it to religion. Who says, oh, you can do it any day, but don't do it on the Sabbath. So many of Jesus' parables and sermons, I mean, you have there in Luke, the young ruler who by his own confession had kept the commandments. And so we, we had to believe at least outwardly he had kept the commandments. I mean, he would be first in line to receive the blessing. And yet he walked away sorrowfully. And then in the next chapter, you have the uh, mafia boss of Jericho, Zacchaeus. Who you would say he should be last in the line. He 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 shouldn't receive salvation. He, he you know he should pay for everything. He receives everything. It's like everything is turned upside down. This remember Jesus said that there was a farmer. He hired workers at the first hour, the third hour, the ninth hour, etc., and at the eleventh hour. Then he says, those who were high in the eleventh hour, they got paid first, and they got the same pay as those who be working all day. We would say, I'm going to call my member of parliament. I'm going to file a complaint. This isn't right. What is Jesus doing? He's so provoking them. He's making them. He's making this an illustration of even you who think you've been working so hard. You think you deserve God's blessing. You think you deserve everything. He, he says, that, that, that's not going to add up. Uh, that, that's not going to be good enough. Uh, because he said, there's a new modus operandi here. It's called the grace of God. It's called God's grace flowing to everyone. You know, the first generation church scandalous. Look, look at Paul. He was a terrorist. Saul of Tarsus. What a scandal. He became the, the apostle to the Gentiles. And, and he says, you know, everything I thought was a plus in my life, everything that was a credit to me, my background, my studies, 
my religious pursuit. He said, I count all that as dung. That's a minus. He doesn't say, well, it didn't really hurt me at all my religious efforts. It did some good. No, he says, it's the minus. It's a loss to me. It's not an even. It's a loss. People said, that's, that, that's outrageous. He shouldn't talk like that. He should have some respect for his background and his upbringing and for his religious tradition. I, I just don't agree with Saul of Tarsus. He shouldn't be talking like that. But he says, no, it's all garbage. It's all dung. I could even think of a worse word to put there. I mean, friends, the cats is out of the bag. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus did something on the cross that is so enormous that all of our theological words are not sufficient to describe it. What Jesus did is just so awesome. It's so great. But I got to hurry to get to the last group here in 1 Corinthians 3. It says, chapter 1, verse 23, it says, to some, this beautiful gospel it's the power of God and the wisdom of God. You know, this is, this is God's wisdom that even though we who are so inadequate, so frail, so easily tempted, so weak, that really God it can't do much with us. But then, and then, you know, in case some people are really high on themselves and think they're really wonderful, God sent the law of Moses to help us to notice how weak we are and how unable we are to live up to this standard. He sent that to show us that this holy and just and perfect law of Moses, it showed us we can't live up to God's standard so that we would capitulate and say, I see something better. This, does, this, this religion doesn't work for me. But I see something that goes right against the grain of everything I've ever thought. I see the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's the power of God. It's the wisdom of God. That's why I say again, forget the, the term Christian religion. It's contradictory. I say it again. It, it, religion is about you trying to do everything right to please and displease God. The gospel is what God has done for you. That's why we are not in the religion business. And I use the word business in the most respectful way. We are in the gospel business. And we say to you today, our love affair with religion is over. And we come and receive this gift of God that's available to everyone. Well, if you never have received this, I want to invite you right now to say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ. Once you receive this new life, it will give you power. Oh, it's not that we condone sin. It's not that we condone evil works. Not at all. We are against all that. But we believe that you were created in Christ Jesus. You were born again for good works, not dead works, not you trying to do works to make God satisfied because God is already pleased because of what Jesus has done.